But should we stand to our feet and welcome the wonderful Ingrid Metzmeyer to preach the word? Yeah. <laughs> so we pray. Oh, Lord God, we thank you, Lord Jesus, for, for Ingrid, Lord God. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for the wonderful gift, Lord God, you've, you've put on her life, Lord God. The way she can teach your word, Lord Jesus, and we can just put it into practice, Lord God. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you've softened hearts this morning already, Lord God. That we'll be ready to receive your word, Lord God. That you've prepared us, Lord Jesus, as well, Lord God. Lord, I pray, Lord God, as Ingrid speaks, Lord Jesus, you'll just touch our lives, Lord God. That we'll put it into practice, Jesus, Lord God. And all God's people said, Amen. Well, I take a little bit longer to get into technology, so I don't have the iPad. My daughter was saying to me, Mom, you, could, you should get an iPad. I'm like, or, I'm like um, this will work. And so if it looks a little bit awkward, it works. That's all that matters. <sighs> okay. Um, as most of you know, I, like, I prefer to teach as opposed to uh, preach. And uh, when Pastor Barry asked me to speak today... There's stuff that God's been taking me on a journey with. As most of you know, um, the whole issue of fatherhood, the orphan spirit, I spoke on that a couple of months ago. And that's been something about my own personal journey and, uh, and how God is, has healed my own heart and taught me what it means to know God as my father. Um, but of course, with God, you're never done learning stuff. And uh, so he's been teaching me not just about him as my father, but about the church as my family. And it's a, it's a beautiful thing to recognize that the body of Christ is really family. And that's how we're supposed to think of one another. You are my brothers and sisters in Christ. You are all children of the Most High God. He is your daddy as much as he is mine. Um, yesterday, I had the, the pleasure of attending a baby shower with our lovely Betty and Frank in the back. Baby, baby Betty. I like that. Say that one fast, baby Betty. Baby, um, is due in just a few weeks. And uh, I can imagine, as every mum and dad probably in this room knows, that there's a great deal of preparation that goes into getting ready for the baby, preparing the room, painting, wallpapering, buying the right crib, bassinet, 10,000 diapers through every stage of life, just getting stuff ready. And I, it's a bizarre thing with women, most women, I think, would, would say that this is the case, that in the last month, as big as we are, like a little house walking around, the fact is that we get, it's like this burst of energy, we want to nest, and suddenly it's every chore that didn't get done, we want to get done now. And we're waddling around doing this and that just to get stuff ready in preparation for the baby. God's no different. God's no different. When God knew that he was going to have some kids, he wanted to make things ready for us. And the heart of God is such that, of course, he is God. And so the quality of what he created for us to prepare earth for us was amazing. So I just want you to put up Genesis 2, 8. We're going to read that. God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and he put the man that he had just made in it. God made all kinds of trees grow from the ground, trees beautiful to look at and good to eat. The tree of life was in the middle of the garden, also the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Verse 15. God took the man and set him down in the garden of Eden to work the ground and keep it in order. And God commanded the man, you can eat from any tree in the garden except from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat from it, for the moment you eat from that tree, you're dead. 
God said, it's not good for man to be alone. I'll make him a helper, a companion. And so God formed from the dirt of the ground all the animals of the field and birds of the air, brought them to the man to see what he would name them. Whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. He named the cattle, the birds of the air, the wild animals, but he didn't find a suitable companion. So God put the man into a deep sleep, and as he slept, he removed one of his ribs and replaced it with flesh. And then he used the rib that he had taken from the man to make woman and presented her to the man. And man said, finally, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. Name her woman, because she was made from man. Therefore, man leaves his father and mother and embraces his wife, and they become one flesh. And the two of them, the man and his wife, were naked, but they felt no shame. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. And they will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And then God blessed them and said, Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, govern it, reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. That's a whole lot of effort that God went to to create environment. And that's the first thing that I want us to think about, is that when God thinks of family, he creates environment. So we think of church as family. And when you come in here, there is an environment that you come into, and it's one that a lot of time and effort was put into to create for you. God made trees and, and flowers and plants. He gave us fruit and every kind of food that, that they could want to eat. He created a beautiful temperature. I mean, seriously, it had to be beautiful because they were naked. So it wasn't like northern Canada, where my son was born. It was warm, balmy. They could hang out under the trees in the shade. They could walk around in the cool of the day with God. It was a beautiful place. Everything about it was enticing and attractive for them to be in. God created environment. So that's the first thing I want you to think about. When you think of family, when you think of what God wants to reproduce, it's a blueprint that God gave to us in the Garden of Eden. And what we as church want to see repeated and replicated over and over again, environment. We create environment. When the environment was right and ready for the family, God did something significant that you see in verse 28. He says, then God blessed them. He blessed them. This tradition of blessing goes back thousands of years with the Jewish culture, and it's always been from father to son. But here, God says he blessed them. It wasn't about just the man. It wasn't just Adam. He blessed them, male and female, both. And the blessing, it says, he blessed them and said. The blessing was imparted with his words. Abraham blessed Isaac. Isaac, as you know, there was a whole situation with him because he had two sons, Esau and Jacob, and Esau should have had the blessing as the firstborn, but Jacob got it. There was, some, there was value that was attached to the blessing. It was something that everybody wanted to have and that they knew was their right. It was something significant. So when, you, when we say blessing, don't think achoo and, and, and the words that you say when you sneeze, okay? Blessing is so much more than that. It's an impartation. An impartation that confers inheritance from father to son, or in the case of the body of Christ, from father to children, okay? Look at Genesis 1, 26, go back to 26. 
Genesis 1, 26, you're on verse 28, so just two, there we go. Let us make human beings in our image to be like us. In our image, that actually can literally be translated as a, an exact duplicate in kind. You and I were created to be exact duplicates in kind, spirit beings like God. He spoke blessing. That word blessed is barach in Hebrew, and it means to kneel or to make to kneel. And when I think of that, I think automatically of Queen Elizabeth when she's knighting people, you know? You kneel and she confers a title on them, and that title stays with them for the rest of their lives. That's what God did when he blessed them. He spoke over them and said, be fruitful, multiply, have dominion, fill up the earth, have authority. It wasn't some intangible thing. It was a conferring of a title, a conferring of an authority, and it stayed with him and with us for the rest of their lives. It was something that they carried with them, and God imparted it by speaking over them. So that's the second aspect of family that I want you to think about. When you come to church on a Sunday, you have environment and then you have atmosphere. And I know that Kesed's really good at this, that we have a great environment for people to come in. You feel welcome, you get your tea and coffee, you have a seat in the corner, nice comfy sofas, you get to chat and, and just kind of move easily from one part to the other and into the seating area here. It's very comfortable, very welcoming, very open. We've created environment well. And then there's atmosphere. You come on Sundays and you're greeted by enthusiastic people at the front door who say, welcome, hi, how are you? They hug you, they, their, their words say that you are welcome. My name is, and they introduce themselves. There's, there's a verbal affirmation that is always given. There's interest in who you are. The atmosphere is one of acceptance, of love, of encouragement, of hope. We create that with our words. If you look at Job 22, it says, Thanks. You shall also decide and decree a thing, and it shall be established for you, and the light of God's favor will shine on your ways. You will decide and decree, and it will be established for you. God saw Adam and Eve, his children, and he'd already made a decision. These are my kids. I love my children. And so he spoke the decision of his heart, which was blessing. I am going to impart on you the capacity and the authority to live out on this earth in a way that will bring increase and life, increase and life. Everything he said, he said, be fruitful and multiply. What does that do? That produces life, life from your body, they were having children, multiply, have lots and lots of kids, have dominion, that, to take stewardship over the land that was around them, over the plant life. They wanted the garden to be tended and taken care of. Every word that he spoke over them was to produce life. And that's what he's saying here. Decide and decree. Make a decision in your heart what you're going to say with your mouth. And then when you speak that out, you're releasing the power of God 
that blessing that is already on you is going out of you. Are the words that you speak in line with the blessing that was imparted on you? Do the words you speak bring life to the ones that are around you? Do you create life in the environment that God's put you in with your words? If you look at Ephesians 4.29, it says, Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Now, I know in the many, many years that I've been um, alive, <laughs> um, I've not passed that test lots of times. There are times when we don't think before we speak, and we just... I had a pastor in Canada once called it verbal diarrhea. That's what comes out of your mouth, you know? It's stuff that you, that you regret after you say it, but once it's out there, you can't take it back. But this is the criteria that God says. If you are anointed, if God has placed his blessing on you, which he has because you're his kids, then this authority is on you to do this to speak words out of your mouth that are helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. But that doesn't mean you don't correct people, because, of course, if you correct someone, what you're saying to them is benefiting them and helping them to, to overcome maybe an error, an error of understanding, an error of behavior, of attitude, so on. So don't think that means you just got to have all these nicey little, you know, superficial kind of words and things. Oh, you're so sweet, you know. No, you, you can speak words that are correcting, but say them in a way that still builds up, that still edifies, that still brings life to the circumstance and the situation. So we are God's family. You are my brothers and my sisters. You are God's family. And God has said, I want you in environment, and I want you in atmosphere that replicates what I started off in the beginning to make. The Garden of Eden was always God's intent for man. And I don't mean literally. I don't mean that he always wanted us to only be in that one place. Obviously not. He said increase, multiply, fill the whole earth. But the atmosphere and the environment, he wants us to replicate. And because we've been restored now to that blessing as children of God, now that we've recognized who we are as children of God, we can come back into that place and bring that blessing back. It's important, though, this last um, aspect of the garden is the most significant. When I was thinking about family and how we do, I said, okay, God, I know Kesed does well with environment. I know we do well with atmosphere. But Father, there's so much that we're praying for. There's so much that we're seeking you for. What is it that, that we're, we're just waiting for this breakthrough to come? We know it's there. We can see it hovering on the corner, on the edge of, of things. And where is it? And he took me back to this whole idea of the garden. And I had to look at the actual word, the Garden of Eden. And that's where the key is, is actually in the word Eden. If you want to put that up, that's what it looks like. Yay to my dear old uh, Marilyn for getting this up for me. So as you can tell, uh, there's a whole bunch of little interesting shapes that make up the Hebrew symbol for Eden. And Hebrew is like that. Hebrew is a language of, of these wonderful um, strokes. 
Chinese or Japanese in that way. And each stroke represents a word or a nuance or a thought. And it's when you combine all of the words that they make another word. So any one word that you see is really not just one word. It's a, it's a whole combination of words. And you want to get in Hebrew, you want to get each one of those wonderful strokes in order to get the understanding of what Eden means. And when I went back and looked at this, I was a bit overwhelmed by what God revealed. One stroke means spot. Spot. The second stroke means moment. The next one means presence. And then another, pleasant or delightful atmosphere or heaven. And then the fifth one means open door. I sat on the floor for a while before God as I, as I recognized the significance of this. God took man, you and me, God took Adam and Eve, and he put him in that spot for that moment where he was in the presence of God living under an open door to heaven. That's what the Garden of Eden is. That's what it is. It's not a place. Yes, it was located technically somewhere between southern Turkey and, uh, and Iraq from a geographical point of view. But Eden, that was the garden, but it was the garden of Eden. And Eden was Adam, Eve, potentially you and me, in that spot, in that moment where the presence of God resided and had you under an open door to heaven. And because man was commanded to increase and to fill the earth, that was the blessing put on him. What that meant was that he who was under this open heaven, in this spot, for that moment, when Adam began to increase, to multiply, to fill up the earth, he would move. And where he moved, now he was in another spot for another moment, under an open heaven in the presence of God. And the more he increased, the more the spot would increase. And as they increased in number, each one of them would carry this moment of being under an open heaven in the presence of God. And each one of them, when they moved, would carry that with them. The significance of that for the church is are we in that place of presence ourselves? We have environment. We have atmosphere. But are we carrying presence? Are we abiding and resting in presence? Or are we stepping in and out? Does it go with us when we go? God's design for family, God's design for us as Kesed is environment, 
is atmosphere, but more than anything, it's presence. Because without his presence, those other two are just social clubs. Why do you come to church on Sunday? The need to gather together is in the heart of what we do as church. Remember the Israelites when they were in slavery. If you could put up Exodus 7. God said, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews has sent me to say to you, let my people go so they can worship me in the wilderness. You know, Pharaoh had all these Israelites in Egypt. And God sent Moses to go and speak to him and say, let my people go. They need to go out into the wilderness and worship me. And every time that Moses would come to Pharaoh and say, let my people go, and the plagues were coming, and Pharaoh was, was uh, saying, okay, you can go, but only go a little bit. And then, and then he'd renege on his promise. And then he'd say, okay, then you can go, but don't take your children with you. And, or don't take the animals with you or whatever. Finally, he, he let them go because of the extremes to which God had had to go to force him. But God was saying, you have to leave this. You have to leave this. You have to change the environment because the atmosphere is so bad here and you need to get away from it. And you need to go into this spot for this moment. You need to move out of where you are and come to another spot because that's where my presence is under an open heaven. That's where I have that presence for you to dwell in. That's where you can worship me. Then in chapter 19, just a little bit further on, he says, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. You know, everybody thinks that it was just Moses who was called to be in the presence of God. But the fact is that, that was God's initial intent was all of them. The entire nation of Israel was intended to be a kingdom of priests. That means all of them were called to be in the presence. All of them were called to stand in that place under an open heaven in that spot before God where they were vulnerable and open to him. But we know what happened. They got there. They got to the mountain. They saw the thunder and the lightning. And they were scared of God. They were happy to go along with Moses. They were happy to be in the environment. They were happy to have the atmosphere and see the miracles. But the presence of God... They resisted. They didn't want to enter into it because they were afraid of it. They allowed their, their, their human reactions to affect entering into the presence. How often do we come to church and stay in that outer, in the perimeter? How often do we satisfy ourselves with just the environment, the nice coffee, the friendly faces? How often are we satisfied just with the atmosphere? People are so nice to me here. I feel so good about myself. They say such nice things. Those are important. But God wants you to go deeper. He wants more than environment. He wants more than atmosphere. He wants you to be in his presence. And there's a spot for that for all of us. There's a place where you can come into his presence under an open heaven.
they spent 40 years in the desert, those Israelites. God brought them out of Egypt. And for 40 years, they did not want to get into the presence of God. Guess who did? Moses. Moses went up onto that mountain with God. And the Bible records that when he came down, his face shone with the glory of God. They had to put veils over top of his head because he, he, he glowed. He glowed with the glory of God. And you know what it was? The Bible says that he saw God and the goodness of God passed by him. The goodness of God will always release you into his presence, will always reveal his glory on you. It's not, there's nothing intimidating about being in the presence of God. Because all you, what you're doing is you're, is you're acknowledging and you're seeing his goodness. Who he is to you, what he has done for you. His extravagant, lavish, patient, passionate love for you as your daddy. He wants to benefit you. He wants the blessing that he pronounced on you as one of his children to do more than just give you a great environment and a great atmosphere. He wants that blessing to bring you into that holy place with him where you'll see his goodness manifest itself over you. You know, it's interesting um, to note that of Moses, at the end of his life, it's recorded that at 120 years old, that's how long he lived, 120 years, his eyes had not grown dim, nor had his natural strength lessened in any way. Go figure. Why is that? I would argue it was because he walked in the presence of God. Everywhere he went, he was under this open heaven before God. Every spot that he stood on, he was before the presence and under the presence of God. Everybody ate the same thing. They all got manna from heaven. They got quails. It wasn't like his diet was any better than anyone else's. He got just as much exercise as everybody else. What set him apart was this abiding in the presence of God. And when he died, he was as healthy at 120 as he had been at 40. No cataracts, no dim eyes, sight, nothing. His eyes had not grown dim, nor his natural strength lessened. It's interesting that 2,000 years later when Jesus was talking about the, the story of the prodigal son, and we all know the account of the prodigal. But again, God was reminding me about this story um, and thinking about the older brother. Because the older brother did exactly what the Israelites did in the desert. He lived in the house of his dad, who was a type of God, a picture of God. He lived in the same community. He had the best environment. He had everything you could ask for. Not only was he living there, but if you recall, when his younger brother had demanded his inheritance, the father divided it among both of them. Didn't say he gave it to the younger one. He said he divided it among them. And the older son always gets the double portion. So he had a two-thirds of his inheritance, and his brother had the one-third. And he still kept on living at home. In this great, beautiful, I won't call it a house because it's probably like a tent city kind of thing. But everything, every need he could ever have. And when he complained about his younger brother, you know, his father said, look, everything I've got is yours. Not just the, the two-thirds portion 
of inheritance that you've already got, but everything else that I have, it's already yours. And yet his brother was content, the older brother was content to just live on the periphery. He never entered into the experience of being in his father's presence. His dad threw a party for his younger brother, and the older brother acted like it was the weirdest thing going. He obviously wasn't used to celebrating, worshiping, being in the presence with his father. He stayed on the periphery, on the outside. It's time for us as church to not be content any longer with just the environment, with just a good atmosphere. It's time for us to say, God, I want to know what it's like to be in that spot. In this moment, I want to be in that spot under an open heaven in your presence. I want to know what it's like to be filled with the passionate love of my dad for me. To know his goodness, the extravagance of his goodness, so that his glory just is all over me. Could you put up uh, Job 22? Acquaint now yourself with him. Agree with God and show yourself to be conformed to his will. Be at peace. And by that you will prosper and great good will come to you. Receive, I pray you, the law and instruction from his mouth. Lay up his words in your heart. For if you return to the Almighty and submit yourself before him, you will be built up. Put away unrighteousness far from your tents. If you lay gold in the dust and the gold of Ophir among the stones of the brook, considering them worthless, and make the Almighty your gold and the Lord your precious silver treasure, then you will have delight in the Almighty. You will lift up your face to God. You will make your prayer to him. He will hear you and you will pay your vows. And then you will decide and decree a thing and it shall be established for you. And the light of God's favor will shine on your ways. There is a process. If we want to speak out words of blessing, if we want to decree something and see it come to pass, there is a process, and it comes from being in the presence. It's where we lay aside ourself, and we say, God, I choose to agree with you. I choose to do things your way. I think I know what I'm doing. I think... I have an idea of how this should go. But the fact is, you're God and I'm not. I'm going to agree with you. I'm going to do this your way. I'm busy, Lord. I'm so busy. I have kids, young kids. I can't afford the time to come away. I can't afford the time to get together. God is saying, you need to be in that spot with me. In order to have that environment you want with your kids, in order to have that atmosphere you want with your kids, you need to be here in me under that presence. There's always a reason not to do something. But God said so clearly, he said, if you seek first my kingdom and my righteousness, all this other stuff is going to come to you. Make this the priority. Choose to gather together. Choose to come into family. Choose to come into community. And choose to 
come for more than just meeting people, having a cup of coffee, feeling good about yourself when you leave. We come together as family to be in the presence of our daddy, our heavenly father who loves us. I love this account in Acts chapter 2. This is the church. This is us only 2,000 years ago. They steadfastly persevered, devoting themselves constantly to the instruction and fellowship of the apostles, to the breaking of bread, including the Lord's Supper and prayer. And a sense of awe came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were performed through the apostles. And all who believed were united and together they had everything in common. They sold their possessions, both their landed property and movable goods, and they distributed the price among all according as any had a need. Day after day, they regularly assembled in the temple with united purpose. And in their homes, they broke bread, including the Lord's Supper. They partook of their food with gladness and simplicity and generous hearts constantly praising God and being in favor and goodwill with all the people. And the Lord kept adding to their number daily those who are being saved from spiritual death. There's a corporate anointing that happens when we come together. I'm not suggesting that we all need to uh, sell our homes and move into one huge commune together. Although I know there are some people who do that kind of thing. <laughs> but there is a reason why God says we need to come together as family. There is a reason why God says don't neglect to come together as church. Don't think, oh, it's a sunny morning, I want to go to the beach. Don't think, oh, I need to have a lion. I was out late last night with my friends. I'm not trying to make anyone feel guilty, seriously. I just want you to see the difference between the early church. We want to see signs and wonders. We want to see the sick being healed. We want to see all these amazing things that they saw back there. The only way to do that is in his presence. And you release it through that corporate anointing. They gathered together everything that they did. They'd go to work during the day, and then at night they'd gather. They'd have meals together. They'd share food with one another. They'd spend time just sitting and listening. They'd go to the temple regularly whenever they could. They were constantly gathering. And what happened as a result? As a result, they grew in numbers. There were supernatural things happening all the time, but their numbers continued to grow. There's an account of uh, King Saul uh, that talks about how he went out to meet some prophets. There was a group of prophets. And when he got alongside them, he started prophesying. Now, he wasn't a prophet. <laughs> and it even happened later on when he turned away from God and was actually living in, in, in wickedness. Um, and he did it again, hung out with some prophets and ended up prophesying. It wasn't because of him. It was because he came alongside that anointing. He got in the presence of other people who were in the presence. And as he came under that spot 
of the open heaven, it came on him too. You know, in Proverbs it said, as iron sharpens iron, so does one man sharpen another. When you get alongside your brothers and sisters, their strengths, their gifts, their anointing will sharpen you up, and you in turn will do that for them. There's a reason why God instituted family, spiritual family, is so that you could build one another up, so that you could serve one another as you both, as we all seek God, as we come together to be in that presence. Deuteronomy, there's a great verse that says, um, when God is with you, one person can cause a thousand to flee, but two people can cause 10,000 to flee. Just imagine what happens when you've got a whole church full of people all coming together, praying together against spiritual situations, attacks that are coming against people. The prayer of agreement, that corporate anointing, how important it is. You know, we've got Easter coming up next weekend. And we're all aware of what Easter represents. It's a remembrance, a time where we, we celebrate and acknowledge the extravagant gift of love that came when Jesus said, I'm not going to do this my way, God. I'm going to do it your way. I'm going to give up my life so that they, meaning us, if we just say yes to it, we can all enter back into that Garden of Eden state. He would buy back everything that Adam lost when he decided to disobey. Adam, when he and Eve messed it up in the garden, they left the environment. They had to leave that atmosphere, and they lost the presence of God. It was all gone with that one act of disobedience. And Jesus, next week we celebrate how his death was the penalty that was required to give us back that presence, to give us back that atmosphere, to give us back that environment that was in the garden. But in that week leading up to his crucifixion, Jesus stood at the entrance to the city of Jerusalem. And uh, it's recorded in the Gospels that he said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. How often I have longed to gather you together like a mother hen does with her chicks. But you wouldn't have me. My um, call from God, my, my purpose as someone who teaches the word is so clear. God has made it so clear to me that my mandate is to teach the body of Christ and to help to stir up in you a passion and a longing to be who God says you are. You are his sons and his daughters. And he gave his son Jesus so that you could have that Garden of Eden lifestyle, not just one day, but every day of your lives, that you could live in an environment and an atmosphere of love and affirmation and hope because you're standing in that presence of God. Don't be like the Israelites who went for 40 years following that cloud, following that pillar of fire. They could see God there. 
but they didn't want to enter in. They didn't want to risk being vulnerable in the presence of God, even though all he wanted to do was have them underneath that place of an open heaven where they could see and experience his goodness. Don't be like that older son who had it all, who had everything that you could possibly ask for and couldn't see it, couldn't see the wood for the trees right there in front of him all along. When you come to church on Sunday, recognize that, yes, we have a great environment and we want you to enjoy it. Yes, we have a great atmosphere and we want to continually be building you up and encouraging you with our, our words. When we speak from up here, we want to be saying things that will build you up and challenge and encourage you and, and help you go out and live a life that is, is purpose-filled. But I want to challenge you to go deeper, much deeper. How does your garden grow? How is it growing? Are you content just to enjoy the benefits? Or are you hungry to see it expand as God intended? That you would take your Garden of Eden experience and wherever you move, it goes with you. That you bring that presence with you. And you can start by developing it in that corporate anointing here in the body of Christ. Because you were chosen by God to be in this spot, in this moment today, where you are here in the presence of God, residing under an open door to heaven. You really are. The opportunity is here for you to be in that place. And this morning, as uh, the music was uh, being played, I thought, God, you are so good. The choices of of songs that were made, we, we don't collaborate with each other. We don't know what we're going to talk about, but God of course, knew. And he knew what he wanted the church to enter into. He knew what he wanted us as Kessid to enter into. And this morning, I want us to have a moment of, um, I call it a reset. <laughs> Press the reset button. Because we were all here during praise and worship. We all experienced this wonderful presence of God. But there's more. Because, you want to, Kenny, do you want to just get the lights? Um, because if you, if you have come to church and it's because it's Sunday, that's why you're here. I want to challenge you that there's more than just the environment. If you've come to church and maybe this is a new experience for you and you've been blessed by the atmosphere we've created, you felt welcomed, you feel, felt acknowledged, that's awesome. But I want to encourage you, there's more. There's more. God wants you to abide in his presence. And not just for a moment. But we have a moment right now. When we can enter into that place and we can say, I'm here just for you, Daddy. My Heavenly Father, I'm here to be in your presence under an open heaven. And it's just about seeing your goodness. I want to bask in your presence. I want to let you download in me an understanding of who I am to you and who you are to me. And today I want to reset that button. I don't want to just be in the environment. I don't just want to take advantage of the atmosphere. I want to choose to be under this corner.
corporate anointing with my brothers and sisters, with this family, and I want to be in the presence. So I'm going to invite everybody to stand, and we are going to go back into that place of worship, and I want you to to go deeper. And we're going to welcome Holy Spirit to come, and we are going to expect to experience that spot for the moment under that open heaven. Like a bird. 
Father, we thank you for your presence. We have the choice, Lord. We always have the choice to move into that spot, to 
to be exposed, to be open, to be vulnerable. I pray for everyone that's here this morning, Father, that you would stir up inside each one of us a dissatisfaction with the way things have always been, with mediocrity, with the same old, same old. You angels of God, you are here with us. You are just waiting to act on the Father's instructions. So we release you. We release you to move among the seats, to touch people who are uncertain, people who have never known what it means to be in the presence of their dad, their heavenly daddy who loves them. Touch them this morning. Touch them. Take away the, the spiritual blindness, the, the, the glasses, the shutters that have been over their spiritual eyes. Take them away in Jesus' name, Father. People who don't understand what it means to just rest, to stop all the busyness in their minds, all the thoughts, the thinking, the planning, and just rest. Holy Spirit, cause your peace to descend. pass by in each of our lives you have done so much for us and you have so much good plan for us open our eyes daddy to see to see your extravagant goodness experience of God. They don't really know what it means to have God in their lives, and they want to know what it is like to live this life in that presence. If you'd like me to pray with you this morning to enter into that relationship, just slip your hand up, and I'd like to pray for you. You can put it back down right away if you like. Just let me know. Thank you. I see you. Anyone else? Just pray along with me. And thank you. I see your hand. If everybody could just pray together. A corporate anointing. A corporate anointing. Just repeat after me. 
God, I thank you that you're my daddy. I'm sorry for the stuff I've done that has disappointed you. Please forgive me. I want to know what it's like to live this life with you. And I give you permission to come and abide in me. I choose your presence today. And I ask you to cause it to go with me every day. Thank you. Amen. Just Let's just stay in this presence. I believe there's more.